Passover is just 31 days from tonight. Our deacons and staff are preparing and planning for the occasion. There are many details that have to be considered. We must arrange the seating and plan which areas will accommodate the foot washing service. The wine glasses and trays must be prepared. The wine and the unleavened bread must be prepared. Let's turn to Luke, the 22nd chapter. And Jesus instructed his disciples to prepare for the Passover. Luke 22, starting with verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. When we celebrate certain occasions, it takes preparation, it takes work, it takes time, planning, and effort to prepare for those special occasions. And so Peter and John had to take time ahead of time to prepare the Passover. And they said unto him, Where will you that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you enter into the city, there shall be a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he enters in. Uh, Christ used signs and miracles. And he shall, and you shall say to the good man of the house, The master says unto you, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And again, Christ is telling his disciples to make ready, to prepare. And they went and found as he had said, and they made ready the Passover. We must prepare for the Passover physically and spiritually. Are you preparing for the Passover? Are you preparing for the days of unleavened bread? Again, we must prepare physically and spiritually. Mr. Meredith's recent sermons as we apply them, will help us to prepare spiritually. Two of his sermons were titled, How Does God View You? and The Stature of Christ. I encourage you to review those sermons, your sermon notes, or you even can check them out at our audio CD from our sermon library. The Bible emphasizes the principle of preparation. We are preparing for the kingdom of God and the return of Christ. We're preparing to serve as kings and priests in that kingdom. So we have to prepare for short-term and long-term. We must prepare for the trials and tests ahead. Millions of people along the Gulf Coast, including hundreds of our brethren, fled from Hurricane Katrina. They fled their homes on very short notice. And perhaps some of you talked with our brethren from the Gulf Coast, from our brethren in Mississippi and Alabama, Louisiana, Texas, and uh, they can tell you some very interesting stories about the challenge that they had. Some were on the road in the freeways and ran out of fuel of their automobiles and were left stranded. Are you prepared to meet more natural disasters that will strike our city and talking to our brethren around the world, your state, your province, your nation, your region? So how can we be prepared both physically and spiritually? The title of the sermon is Be Prepared. We've already heard messages on examining ourselves for the Passover. And, of course, most of you know only baptized members should partake of the Passover. But everyone, including those not yet baptized, can apply the process of self-examination. 
And uh, we've read and emphasized, as Mr. Meredith did here recently, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Know you not your own selves, whether Christ be in you, or that Christ is in you, or you may be disqualified or be reprobates, as it has in the King James. That challenging process includes asking ourselves some tough questions. Are we holding to our faith, as the Moffat translation has in 2 Corinthians 13, 5? Is Jesus Christ living his life in us, as 2 Corinthians 13, 5 asks? Can you see any fruits of the Spirit in your life? Now, these are tough questions. These are questions we must ask, and we can ask those in prayer. And we have to admit our shortcomings. When was the last time I... I, giving the sermon and preparing for it, admitted uh, and discussed some of my weaknesses and shortcomings in prayer this morning. Uh, when was the last time that you really faced yourself and realized, what are my weaknesses? What are my vulnerabilities that Satan can attack? This is a part of the preparation process for the Passover. At the same time, we can thank God for his guidance over the past year and in preparation, be very thankful to see where God has given us victories, <clears throat> where God has actually worked in our lives to help and serve and to grow spiritually. So there's a positive aspect of the examination process as well. Turn to Psalm 19. We still have to ask God to show us some of our hidden sins or faults, because we all have blind spots. Psalm 19, starting with verse 12. I've mentioned this before some time years ago, that uh, we all have in our eyes a physical blind spot. Uh, normally you can take a look at a psychology book, and you'll find that what you can do is that you put two dots on a piece of paper, and you line your eyes up with those dots and cover one eye, and you will see if the blind spot in your eye is exactly lined up, the little dot on the paper will disappear for the other eye because it's directly lined up with your blind spot. That's where the retina attaches to uh, the eyeball. In fact, the Webster's Third New International Dictionary states it this way, a blind spot. The point in the retina not sensitive to light where the optic nerve passes through the inner coat of the eyeball. So there is actually physical blind spot in each of your eyes. But it is also philosophically an area in which one fails to exercise understanding, judgment, or discrimination. And we've been encouraged here in preparation for the Passover to have the courage to ask others to uh, give us an evaluation. It takes a lot of courage to do that. I've mentioned in the past, I confess I haven't done it this year, but I must ask my wife, uh, you know, to what area in my life can I improve on? And when I've done that in the past, she has rattled off uh, quite a few. And I said, no, no, just, just give me one, one area to work on and uh, that I need to improve on. But we have blind spots here in Psalm 19, verse 12. The psalmist writes, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse you me from secret faults. 
Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, that I then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great trans, trans, uh, transgression. I shall be innocent from the great transgression. So we do have secret sins. We have weaknesses that sometimes are hidden from us because we have blind spots. But what should be the result of this process? Sometimes brethren face the Passover with some kinds of trepidation or uh, uncertainty or concern. Really, when you face the Passover, if you've gone through this process, it should be a positive attitude. Let's turn to Luke, the 22nd chapter, Luke 22. What I would find and what I hope all of us would find in the process of self-examination is that we are weak, we have sins, we need the sacrifice of Christ, we need to recommit our lives, we must confirm and renew our covenant that we made at baptism with God. And we realize we need the sacrifice of Christ. We need to partake of the Passover. And if that is the result of your self-examination, then you can take the Passover with faith and you can take it with thanksgiving. And that should be our attitude as we come to the Passover. Luke 22, verse 14. And when the hour was come, so it was a specific time. Jesus sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said with them, with desire or fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Christ's attitude was one of desiring to take the Passover, not a one of reticence or of uncertainty. And so when we take the Passover, we should do it in faith with a desire to take the Passover and understanding its meaning, that we are dedicating ourselves, rededicating ourselves. We need God's love. We need His grace. We need His forgiveness. And partaking of the Passover demonstrates our love and commitment to our Savior. And we'll read this later on, but turn to John, the 13th chapter, and again see what our attitude should be for the Passover service. John 13 and verse 8. This was Peter's attitude. He didn't quite understand. And when Jesus poured water into a basin and uh, began to wipe their disciples' feet, when he came to Peter, verse 8, John 13, verse 8, Peter said unto him, You shall never wash my feet. <laughs> uh, Peter was just uh, very zealous. Uh, he was uh, ambitious in the, perhaps the wrong way, but later on in the right way when he was converted. As Jesus said, when you are converted, Peter, strengthen the brethren. So he wasn't converted, and Jesus said that later on. And so Jesus answered, if I wash you not, you have no part with me. And so uh, Peter probably was pretty shocked by that statement, and uh, so he went to the other extreme. Simon Peter says unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my he hands and my head. Uh, just imagine uh, Jesus washing uh, Peter's head and his hands. Now, Jesus said to him, He that is washed, verse 10, needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, he said, You are not all clean. So our response has got to be in cooperation with Jesus' um, instructions. And as we heard in the sermonette, uh, verse 17, If you know these things, 
happy are you if you do them. There is a confidence, there is a contentment, there is a satisfaction, blessed and happy. At the Passover, we renew our covenant with God and we renew our commitments. And I'll discuss later on some of those commitments as we have time. So we must prepare for the Passover by asking and answering some tough questions. We face ourselves, we're honest with ourselves. We admit our weaknesses, our sins, and our shortcomings. Then you will appreciate the Passover all the more. Now, as we prepare for the future, we must prepare in other ways as well. One of those ways, and we'll discuss several areas, again, as we have time, one of those ways is financially. Many around the world are struggling to survive, but God promises to provide our every need. Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So if you have needs that are not being fulfilled, then open that to that scripture on your knees, pray about it, tell God your needs, because he has, he has promised to fulfill those needs. He also says the same in Matthew 6:33, but seek you first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. God will provide our every need. He promises tithe payers that he will open the windows of heaven for them. Malachi 3, verse 10. Of course, that doesn't mean necessarily financially windows of blessings, but spiritual blessings as well. And so many other spiritual blessings that uh, cannot be purchased. Peace of mind, spiritual understanding, knowing the truth, knowing where, what God has prepared for us in the future. Which reminds me, I wasn't going to turn there, but uh, I need to turn to it right now as I think about it. And uh, that's 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, talking about preparations. Now, this is a little aside here, but I think it's important because uh, I have to apply the principle, strike while the iron is hot. In other words, turn to the scripture while I think of it, because I may overlook it later on. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, where he says in verse 9, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those that love him. We must be preparing, but God, do you know, is preparing something for you. He has prepared something for those who love him. The physical mind, the physical senses cannot perceive that. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, verse 10, for the Spirit searches all things, Yes, the deep things of God, 1 Corinthians 2.10. So just keep that in mind for later, that God has prepared spiritual things for us, and he has revealed that wonderful future to us by his Spirit. Well, back to the other subject I was getting at here, and that is preparing financially. Let's turn to Proverbs 28, verse 19. The Bible is filled with uh, principles for financial success and management. Proverbs 28, and starting with verse 19. Proverbs 28, 19. No. 28, 19. Sorry about that. He who walks uprightly shall be saved, but he that is perverse in his way shall fall at once. 
He that tills his land shall have plenty of bread. But he that follows after vain persons shall have poverty enough. So a faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread. In other words, you need to fulfill your daily responsibilities, your daily chores. Uh, there's another proverb that comes to mind that there is profit in all labor. I don't have the reference to that. You can look that up. Let's look at uh, Proverbs 10 and verse 4. Proverbs 10 and verse 4. He becomes poor that deals with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. In other words, he's not slothful. He's not lazy. He is productive. He's working. He's contributing. In the January-February 2005, Tomorrow's World magazine, Mr. Meredith wrote an editorial titled, Are You Prepared? He writes, quote, a first priority would be, and this is in the financial realm, he was, I'll give you a little background of the article, he's talking about the financial collapse that analysts have predicted for the United States. And he's saying, you need to be prepared for that financial collapse. And so he writes, quote, a first priority would be to pay off all credit card debts. Oh, I won't ask how many of you... Um, here in the audience have a problem with that. And I know that some of you and uh, some of my friends, uh, not just here in Charlotte, but other places, who do not pay on time get a $30 late fee charge. $30 for a late fee. That's a lot of money to pay because you haven't paid your credit card on time. You can get into this cycle of just getting down and down with extra fees being added on. I know uh, one individual was using his ATM and debit card for the bank and was just using it, as I sometimes do, to buy just uh, maybe cough drops for $1.60. And I use my ATM card, and it, uh, it's charged against my checking account. Well, in this one case, one individual is doing this. Uh, he just bought uh, maybe... Uh, uh, a bag of carrots or something and charged two dollars and he was overdrawn in his bank account and every single charge was a thirty dollar fee by the bank he owed uh, over two hundred dollars for just charging a two or three dollar atm charge on his debit card but we have to be alert and again apply uh, principles to avoid those kinds of penalties that come along. Anyway, uh, back again to Mr. Meredith's article, Are You Prepared? Quote, the first priority would be to pay off all credit card debts and all other debts we possibly can. We should also have at least the equivalent of 60 days living expenses in case of a sudden breakdown in the banking system or a similar emergency. And perhaps you've seen uh, those warnings on television about what would happen if our banking system, if the electricity is cut off, the electronics are cut down, if the Internet is cut off, it would be catastrophic to the banking system. You can't get money out of the bank. So he's saying we should have some cash on hand. Also, we should gradually work out a family budget that allows us over time to set aside financial resources to carry us through a year or more in case of job loss, catastrophic health situation, etc., 
So we need to be preparing financially. I know on occasions, uh, one occasion years ago, I didn't normally have that much cash on hand, but I got a call in Pasadena from uh, where I, from a, bro a brother member in, in uh, Florida. And his son, who lived in Pasadena, had been out walking on the streets at 2 o'clock in the morning, had no identification. The police checked and found out that there was a warrant out for him, which, of which he was totally unaware, was arrested, put in jail. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I get a call from a member in Florida saying, look, my son, whom I knew, um, been a former ambassador student, was in jail. Can you bail him out? It'll take $60 in cash. Do you have $60 in cash on hand in your home? It, I didn't normally have that much money, but I just happened to have $60 of cash, went down to the jail in Pasadena, went up the elevator into this secure area and was able to pay the $60 and get our member's son out of jail for that $60. But if I had not that $60 on hand, I wouldn't have been able to help in that way. Mr. Meredith goes on to say, if you truly believe in the living God and his inspired word, you will do your part to support his work even in trying times. Then the creator will certainly be there, quote unquote, when you desperately need him. But even if you do not yet understand the spiritual matter, he's writing in the Tomorrow's World magazine, be sure to be aware of what is going on to happen physically and take immediate steps to begin putting your own financial house in order. You owe it to your family and yourself. Brethren, this was a warning put out to all our subscribers and to you and to me January and February last year, 2005. Are you going to take that warning? Are you going to try to do your part to get your financial house in order? Now, let's understand that we do have widows. We do have fatherless. We do have a program through our, um, our tithe system that helps those. And we are helping many widows and those who are poor monthly with checks that go out. Mr. Partian and Dr. Winnell and others oversee that program. So we try to help the poor. If you are in need that way, then you need to let your pastor know of your needs. But for those of you who are working and uh, have uh, financial responsibilities, as Mr. Meredith said, take immediate steps to put, begin putting your own financial house in order. You owe it to yourself and your family. We need also to prepare not only financially, but for natural and man-made disasters. Our Texas brethren, Gulf Coast brethren, and Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana know what it's like to have to flee on short notice. Mr. Meredith and the church have given us warnings to prepare for disasters. More than a million people fled the Gulf Coast as Hurricane Katrina approached, and many of God's people were refugees in that, in that exodus. Now, are you and your family, be honest with yourself, ready to flee, if necessary, on short notice. North Carolina has been afflicted with major hurricanes in the past, Hurricane Hugo, for example. Now, let's take a look at Matthew 10, verse 23. Now, this is a different reason for fleeing. Many of our brethren had to flee because of a major hurricane that devastated the Gulf Coast. Matthew 10, verse 23. And Jesus was talking to his 12 disciples and the mission. He was sending them forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
But just notice the principle here in verse 23 of Matthew 10. But when they persecute you in this city, flee you into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. You're also familiar with uh, Matthew 24, after the abomination of desolation is set up. When Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 16, Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Again, is there something that you treasure so much that you would jeopardize your life to go back in the house and get it instead of following Christ's instructions? So we must be ready. The Texas brethren have gone through that experience and others along the Gulf Coast are ready. I talked with a member in Texas last night, and uh, we do have uh, Wyatt Seselka here and from uh, Austin. Where are you, Mr. Seselka? Are you back over here? Uh, welcome, uh, visiting here. Um, I know Mr. Seselka was one of the first who was very diligent to prepare for being able to flee on moment's notice. He took Mr. Meredith's articles seriously. In the LCN, we made a listing of those items that you should have available for emergencies. Uh, the one person I talked to in uh, Texas last night, I was uh, mentioning my sermon topic about being prepared, and the member said that several there in Texas, and this is around the Austin area, have what they call grab-and-go bags. They're ready to go. And the it's a backpack filled with the necessities to survive a few days. Again, are you and your family ready to flee, if necessary, on short notice? Uh, this individual mentioned that um, the minister suggested a small axe because what happened, of course, in the Gulf Coast and the flood zones were that some people were stuck in their attic as the waters rose and they were not able to get out. Some were able to chop through the roof, and you saw the photos of refugees standing on their roofs with the floodwaters around them. But others were not able to break through the roof and escape. So that was a suggestion. I think uh, this individual had a little, little axe in their uh, grab-and-go bag. Let's turn to Proverbs 22 and verse 3. Proverbs 22 and verse 3. Are you prepared? If you're not, get prepared. Proverbs 22 and verse 3. Again, this principle is repeated. When God repeats something, he emphasizes it. But here in Proverbs 22 and verse 3, a prudent man foresees the evil. Is there evil coming? Are there disasters, man-made and natural disasters, coming here to North Carolina and to wherever our brethren are around the world? Yes, there are. Are you prepared? A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, or in this case, prepares as best he or she can, but the simple pass on and are punished. Again, back to uh, Mr. Meredith's article, Are You Prepared? Quote, We must always remember the big picture prophecy of Matthew 24, 6 through 11. Christ explains that there will be smaller wars within nations and major conflicts between kingdoms. He indicates in Luke 21.11 that fearful sights, or as a number of translations have it, terrors will come upon us, as well as truly great earthquakes at the time of the end. 
Concurrently, there will be famine and disease epidemics. Now, that's a warning from God's minister, God's leader. What about the secular warnings? I received, I don't know if many of you have received in the mail, uh, this warning packet called Preparing Your Home and Family for Pandemic Outbreaks, Natural Disasters, Terrorist Attacks. This is not from a religious organization. This is from the state of North Carolina to all of the citizens of North Carolina. Some common sense suggestions on getting ready. North Carolina Senator Robert uh, Pittinger, President, www.ncfuture.org. Introduction. This booklet was started long before the London underground bombings. Hurricanes Katrina and Rita hit the Gulf Coast or the threat of a pandemic outbreak. What those three events impressed upon us, though, was the importance of being calm and prepared for some of the unexpected or unanticipated twists and turns life sometimes surprises us with. People are much less likely to panic in a crisis and thus prevail in a bad situation if they have a plan and have their family prepared ahead of time so that everyone knows what they need to do. Again, this is not a religious organization. This is for the state of North Carolina, talking about pandemics, natural disasters, terrorist attacks. And then the, they have a page here from the Secretary of Homeland Security, Michael Chertoff, uh, Together Ready. And this you can find this on www.ready.gov. Prepare an emergency supply kit. Well, that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Make a family emergency plan. Where would you go? Who would you communicate? How would you communicate? Be informed. Get involved. Now, this whole booklet, um, section, uh, and this is amazing. It's almost like Matthew 24, what we just read from Mr. Meredith's article. This is on page 6. The World Health Organization's website is quite unequivocal. It states... The world may be on the brink of another pandemic. All countries will be affected. Widespread illness will occur. Medical supplies will be inadequate. Large numbers of deaths will occur. Economic and social disruption will be great. Every country must be prepared. WHO, World Health Organization, will alert the world when the pandemic threat increases. So again, these are warnings that we need to heed. And understand uh, they give listings for a ready bag here and uh, you talk to mr. Soselka afterwards and ask what he has in his ready bag you do have one ready do you not he's uh, asserting that he does <clears throat> thank you uh, ready bag I won't read all of it it's quite a long list three gallons of water per person per day at least waterproof matches duct tape flashlight with extra batteries a three-day supply of any medications taken red readily Manual can opener. Anyway, I won't go through the whole list. Uh, but you can get your own uh, ready bag ready, or your grab-and-go bag, as they call it back in, uh, back in Texas. Now, these, now, we hear not only these warnings from, um, let's say, this organization, ncfuture.org, uh, but official urges more disaster planning. Raleigh, North Carolina. North Carolina has good experience in responding to, to disasters such as hurricanes. But there's a lot of work ahead to be prepared for a catastrophic event, state crime control and 
Public Safety Secretary Brian Beatty told lawmakers uh, Tuesday. In other words, officials urge more disaster planning is what the title of this is. Now, when you go on the Internet, you will find uh, quite a few um, suggestions to get ready. Uh, that's ready.gov, www.ready.gov. And uh, there's even a section for kids, uh, Ready Kids. And it's trying to make uh, fun for children to get their own grab-and-go ready bag. Uh, create a kit, make a plan, know the facts. Uh, graduate from ready, Readiness U. That's uh, for kids, Ready Kids, it's called. And uh, here's what they say to uh, children. You children, listen up. This is for you from the United States Department of Homeland Security. You're already a great planner. Every day you get your homework done, get to music or sports practice on time, and plan where and when you'll meet up with friends. But how do you get prepared for emergencies, children? It's simple. It just takes planning and practice, and these fun activities from Ready Kids can help. Click on these easy steps, talk to your family, and make a plan and put it in a safe place. When you're all through, you'll be ready to graduate from Readiness U. For that's uh, for children. Now, I went out yesterday looking. I went to uh, Lowe's. I went to uh, uh, several other places looking for disaster kits. And they don't have them as such here in North Carolina. But you can go online. And uh, redcross.org, for example, has kits. This is a, an adult three-day kit for $49.95. Battery-powered uh, flashlight, battery-powered radio, Work gloves, food bars, light sticks, which each one which lasts 12 hours, a breathing mask, plastic sheeting, rain poncho, a roll of duct tape, a water, water container, a whistle. Uh, a whistle is very important in emergency situations. And then uh, I was looking for a, a water purifier pump, and uh, I finally found one at a, a sporting goods store. And... Uh, it was, I think, $60, and uh, you think, well, that's a lot of money for a water pump, but it can take polluted water, and you put one end of the hose of the pump into the polluted water and then pump it, and it filters out any bad uh, items and comes out a purified water. Uh, how much would you pay for water if all your water were polluted and you have no way of uh, purifying it? But those are some, that was, by the way, at Dick's. Goods. They, they do have those available there. Now, I uh, know that we have, a, an emer we have a responsibility to warn the world, and Ezekiel 33 gives us that mission, that we are to warn the world of the disasters that are coming, and we are to trumpet the alarm to the American, British, descended peoples. And I had an alarm last Sunday morning, there's a smoke alarm in my house, and uh, Sunday morning at 6.05, the alarm went off, and I'm, there was nothing to trigger the alarm. There was no smoke, no carbon monoxide, and often as we have to do, I had to get a ladder. I had to go downstairs, get out of bed, get the ladder so I could get the uh, a smoke alarm. Finally figured out after some years that the simple way is just to push the little red button, and it will stop. So it stopped, but it was 6.05. And I thought, well, maybe I'm being persecuted because the telecast was on that moment on WGN on how to overcome Satan. 
And so my wife and I got up and watched the telecast. The smoke alarm went off at 6.20, and it went off at 6.38, and it went off at 6.55. I thought, you know, maybe I just better unscrew that alarm and take it down, which I finally did and finally was able to get some rest and some peace. But we do have warnings, and we need to warn the world. Again, are you prepared, by Mr. Meredith said, if we are truly Bible-believing Christians, we need to prepare for these situations. We are reminded of the old adage, God helps those who help themselves. Many examples indicate that although God will often intervene supernaturally to deliver us, he expects us to use wisdom and to do our part to protect ourselves. Let's go back to Genesis, the 41st chapter. Genesis 41, did Joseph help Egypt to prepare for disaster? Did he do something, or did he just say, well, God's going to deliver us miraculously. We don't need to do anything. My wife and I were reading this uh, the other night. Uh, often, sometimes, we come home from work, and not all the time, but sometimes my wife will sit on my lap, and we'll read the, the Scripture together. And so we were reading uh, Genesis 41 about the Pharaoh's dream. You know, Pharaoh dreamed about the fat cows and the lean cows and the hearty ears of corn and the weak ears of corn. And so Pharaoh called upon Joseph to interpret the dream. And verse 37, And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And so he set, he set Joseph over the whole land of Egypt. Back in verse 28, uh, Joseph told the Pharaoh, This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he shows unto Pharaoh. And there were going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And so with Joseph's wisdom, they prepared for those seven years of famine. We have to prepare for the future. I know as we were reading this, my wife said, um, God has shown us what lies ahead. Now, he, God showed Pharaoh what lies ahead, and she's saying, God is showing us what lies ahead. Are we preparing? And uh, it was a good question. And so uh, yesterday, or the day before, I went out and bought something I finally have wanted to do for years and finally got around to it because uh, this is just a home safety device. It's called a fire extinguisher. How many of you have fire extinguishers in your house? Good, about, uh, about half of you do. And I thought, you know, sometimes uh, you get a grease fire on the uh, kitchen stove, this type of thing, and uh, it's good to have something like this available. Now, this is, they don't have emergency packs in North Carolina. But I bought this at a car wash in Pasadena, California, years ago. And it is an auto survival kit emergency pack contains over 40 items essential in emergency. Food, water, blanket, a first aid kit, a light. And so uh, you're welcome to peruse through this after services, and I think you'll find uh, some interesting items in it. But we do need to be prepared. As Mr. Meredith wrote, so we must each examine our own situation to determine what action we should take. Are we living in a low-lying coastal area 
where we may be in danger of a, at a time of increasing hurricanes, tsunamis, or similar natural disasters? Do we have at least a week's supply of emergency food and water, flashlight batteries, a first aid kit, a battery-powered radio, prescription medications, and other essential items? Have we read the instructions from our nation or region about how to prepare for such emergencies as hurricanes, earthquakes, or terrorist attacks? And again, uh, I just received this in the mail from the state of North Carolina just a few days ago on preparing for such eventualities. Well, I hope that you will be preparing and that you will get your emergency kits together, your grab-and-go bag or your ready bag, as it's called. Now, the principle of preparation of being prepared is well known. Calvin and Hobbes also addressed that issue one time when they were out uh, camping with the Boy Scout troop. And uh, as Calvin, with his uh, tiger friend Hobbes, got separated from the uh, group, Calvin says, well, Hobbes, we did it again. We're separated from the troop and helplessly lost. Fortunately, our motto is be prepared. With this full backpack, we can stay out here for weeks. So he opens the backpack, but what does he have in the backpack? Comic books and other things. So they start reading. And Hobbes says, well, yes, we can stay out here for weeks just so long as we don't get hungry. Well, Calvin didn't prepare exactly correctly. There are biblical principles of preparation. In fact, I would encourage you to do a Bible study, a topical Bible study, on the word prepare or preparation. There are 228 occurrences of the word prepare or its variations. And I'm sure you'll find that topical Bible study very inspiring. Let's take a look at a few selected principles of preparation. Let's go back to Proverbs, the sixth chapter. Proverbs 6. And verse 6, again, you can uh, access our Bible study series. Mr. Charles Bryce did a series on the book of Proverbs that's on our website. Proverbs 6 and verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her meat in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So even without someone to tell it what to do, it doesn't have a boss, a supervisor, a leader, the ant just is busy doing what it knows it should do in preparation for, in this case, uh, for the uh, during the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you sleep, O sluggard? How long will you arise out of sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall your poverty come as one that travels, and your want as an armed man. So here is a principle of diligent preparation. Luke, the 12th chapter, Christ gives us the warning of spiritual preparation, encouragement, exhortation. Luke, the 12th chapter, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God, verse 31, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In preparation, we need vision. We look ahead. We understand God's plan of salvation. He's prepared, well, we'll see later, He's prepared something special for us. As we saw in 1 Corinthians 2.8, that He's prepared spiritual things for us. But He goes on to verse 25, let 35, 
Verse 35, Luke 12, Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. Verse 40, But be you therefore ready also, for the Son of Man comes at an hour when you think not. What is the principle? Again, to be active. I believe, Mr. Meredith, uh, you defined the word faith at one time as active obedience. Anyway, it's one, one of those ways of living by faith, is active obedience. Blessed is the servant, verse 43, whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. And then the one who prepared not himself, verse 47, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. So there's the positive exhortation on one hand and the warning on the other. If you don't prepare yourself and you know better, you're going to be beaten with many stripes. As Mr. Amon said in the sermonette, we, need, we live in obedience to God. James 2.22 says, Be you doers of the word and not hearers only. So we must prepare spiritually and be so doing, as Jesus said. Verse uh, Luke 18, just ahead a few pages. Mr. Crockett uh, gave a sermon on the prayers of Jesus and emphasized this. Luke 18, verse 7. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them? The parable here is perseverance in prayer. Verse 1, that men ought always to pray and not faint. Verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. If you're crying out to God day and night, the implication is you will have faith, and you will be ready for Christ's coming. We need to be ready because that day is fast approaching. We learn to live each day by faith, and we are constantly and consistently praying. And when we are, when tragedies or sudden disasters occur, we will be more ready than if we were not praying and be taken by surprise. How do we respond? The Brookfield tragedy just a year ago, this Sabbath, we called upon our resources. We immediately pray to God when a tragedy happens. We ask for His intervention, His mercy, His comfort, His understanding, and His love. And we still pray for our brethren. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, 1 Peter 4. They are tests, and they happen suddenly sometimes, disasters and trials. First Peter 4, verse 12. I remember so many times when this has happened, something suddenly, a disaster, a tragedy, and it takes us by surprise. The Apostle Peter said in First Peter 4, verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Yes, we are going to be tested. We have been tested many times. But rejoice inasmuch as you partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. I think of the times when I've gone through pain and suffering, verse 19, that God is creating in each of us, as in spite of our suffering, trials and pain, he's creating in us faith 
As James says, let that faith have its perfect work, that you may be entire, lacking nothing. Remember, that's in James 1, about uh, verses 2 and 3, or 3 and 4. But verse 19 of 1 Peter 4, he says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. You may be suffering. You don't know why. But he says, let them commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing. Or some of the other translations have it, continuing to do well. In spite of your suffering, you still do good works. You're still trying to show kindness and love to others. As unto a faithful creator, you know what God is doing. You pray as David did in Psalm 51.10, Create me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. And perfect, righteous, godly character will come in part through our suffering and the faith and the lessons that we learn through those trials and through that suffering. Mr. Meredith, I think, quoted from uh, 1 Peter 1 about the trying of your faith, about uh, being more precious than of gold that perishes. That's 1 Peter 1, verse 7. So we must try to understand that the trying of our faith works patience, but we must do that daily and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We must face the challenges that, by being prepared for them as best we can. Let's take a look at uh, another example here in Luke 21. Luke 21. And uh, my wife brought this up this morning. I said, well, what, honey, what... uh, principles of preparation you think about in the Bible, and she uh, brought up this one. I had thought about it, but hadn't looked it up. Luke 21. Because there is a time when you may be suddenly brought before the magistrates to give a testimony or a witness, and you may not have time to prepare. And so, Luke 21, verse 12, uh, Jesus said, But before all these they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Of course, that happened to the Apostle Paul. He was brought before uh, leaders. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. So there was not a specific preparation for that testimony at that time, but there was a lifelong preparation in being close to God and living by every word of God so that when it came time for a testimony, the faith and the character and the spiritual understanding and knowledge was there to share before the king or before the magistrate. And so again, every day, is preparation day. Take another look at a a biblical example here in Proverbs 31. I'm sure all our ladies are very familiar with the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. She is very diligent to prepare for her family. And this, we won't read the whole chapter, uh, verse 10 through verse 31. Who can find a virtuous woman? Verse 10, Proverbs 31. For her price is far above rubies. She works, she seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands, verse 13. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar, 
Verse 15, she rises also while it's night and gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. And she perceives that her merchandise is good. She stretches out her hands to the poor. Verse 21, she is not afraid of the snow for her household, for she has her household prepared for the winter. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes fine linen and sells it. She opens her mouth, verse 26, with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. And of course, the greatest spiritual characteristic here is found in verse 30. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the eternal, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So here is a woman who is prepared. We need to apply diligence, preparation, the seven laws of success where we prepare spiritually, physically, educationally, and financially. Second law of success, as you know, is preparation and education. Another principle here in Proverbs 24 of preparation, and again, as I was saying, if you do a topical study on the subject of prepare or preparation, I'm sure you'll be inspired by that study. Proverbs 24 and verse 27. Uh, some people want to, uh, you know, have it all at the same time. Uh, Mr. Armstrong used to encourage uh, back in many years ago that a man in preparation to marriage should uh, establish his career. He should be able to be a wage earner. And normally by age 25, he would have established a career and have a steady income so that he could support a family. And so here we find in verse 27 of Proverbs 24, prepare your work without and make it fit for yourself in the field and afterwards build your house. So there's that preparation ahead of time. Uh, chapter 30 of Proverbs, which reinforces something we read earlier, but verse 25 on a principle of preparation. Proverbs 30, verse 25. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. So here are just a few principles of preparation. Now, there's another perspective in being prepared. We have our part. We are living a lifetime of preparation. We're preparing for emergencies. We're preparing for growth in God's work. We're preparing for the kingdom. We're preparing the world, the church, and ourselves for the second coming. But what is Christ preparing for us? That's an encouragement. I hope that will be helpful to all of us today. John 14. You know that verse very well. John 14, verse 1. And particularly in times of stress, trouble, upset, disasters, tells us in John 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Well, we can be concerned, but if we take action, uh, just as that booklet uh, was saying, the North Carolina Preparation Booklet, that if you are prepared in times of crisis, you'll be less likely to panic. You'll have more of a security because you know that at least in part you're prepared for a crisis. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, or dwellings, abodes, or 
dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Christ is preparing for our future. We are in trainings as kings and priests. The temple, if you've ever seen any drawings, architectural drawings of the temple, you know that along the sides were extra rooms where the priests uh, abode or did some of their work. And those particular rooms in the temple where the priests worked or even sometimes stayed were symbolic of their office. And so Jesus is saying, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. They are symbolic of the job, the work that you'll be doing in the future. And he's called us all to be kings and priests. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said, we know not where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So Christ is preparing a place, responsibilities for us in the future. And, of course, we know Revelation 5.10, that we shall be kings and priests and shall reign on the earth. Let's look at another aspect of God's preparing for us. And that's Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Hebrews 11. So be comforted by the fact that God is preparing the appropriate job, the appropriate responsibilities for you personally in tomorrow's world. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, that is, the promises of eternal life, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We, in a sense, symbolize that at the Feast of Tabernacles each year. For they say such things, for they that say such things do plainly declare that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Verse 16 of Hebrews 11. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So God is preparing for us. We know the ultimate city, of course, is the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven. And we will dwell in that city. Not, must, not only must we prepare for the disasters, but God is actually preparing our future. He's preparing us if we cooperate to serve as kings and priests. He's prepared a city for faithful saints. We look forward to the new Jerusalem. And now we must prepare for the Passover. I'm coming back to that particular short-term responsibility. We prepare by examining ourselves. We have to ask tough questions. Our ministry, deacons and staff are making preparations and arrangements for the Passover service itself. But we must also prepare an offering. Now, those uh, of you who are members have already received in the mail, or hopefully you have received, uh, Mr. Meredith's uh, letter, and uh, enclosed in it were the three offering envelopes for the two holy days during the Days of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Pentecost. So are you going to be preparing an offering? 
do you know where your green envelopes are? Of course, right now they're in my Bible. Uh, Later on, they'll be in my briefcase. We need to begin to set aside now an offering for the upcoming holy days. We need to prepare for the Passover. I said earlier that we need to renew our commitments for the Passover. That's another sermon, but I want to at least give you some points to consider for your rededication and renewal. What commitments have you made or will you make for the Passover? Consider these commitments. Number one, commit yourself to endure to the end. Most of you did that at baptism when you counted the cost and read thoroughly and meditated on Luke, the 14th chapter, that you would forsake all that you had, that you would love Christ more than any other human being, including yourself, that you would be willing to bear whatever burdens and cross that you needed to bear and follow Christ. You made those commitments. Matthew 24, 13 says, He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. So commit yourself to endure to the end, number one. Number two, commit yourself to avoid bitterness. And we've had sermons and exhortations on that. Of course, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and verse 14, we're already in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 12, 14, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Are you committed to avoid bitterness? Number two. Number three, commit yourself to avoid neglect and spiritual weakness. We all have varying degrees of faith. The Apostle Paul in Hebrews said that, or Romans 4, that the Apostle Paul was not weak in faith, not the Apostle Paul, that uh, Abraham was not weak in faith. He was strong in faith. So we have varying degrees of spiritual strength and faith and character. We all want to be stronger. But Hebrews, the second chapter, verse 1, gives us this warning. Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip, or as the margin has, running out as leaking vessels. We are responsible for what we've learned. God has shared with us precious, special truth, and it should be internalized. It needs to be a part of our eternal character. He's begotten us by the word of truth, as it says in In uh, James 1, verse 17 and 18, in the King James Version. So we must not neglect, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? We've been receiving warnings about being lukewarm, being lazy spiritually. We must be diligent day and night. Will God not avenge his elect who cry out to him day and night? We read back in, uh, I believe it was Luke 19. So number three, commit yourself to avoid neglect and weakness. Number four, commit yourself to forgive. And 
Again, we've received many exhortations on that, but Matthew, the sixth chapter, which we know very thoroughly, again warns us, Matthew 6 and verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And that's what we need to think about, particularly at the Passover, understanding how we need forgiveness. And if we need forgiveness, then who are we to condemn others? For if we forgive men, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the commitment number four for the Passover is commit yourself to forgive. We had a discussion uh, just uh, yesterday, I guess it was, with uh, one of our media agents from London, and uh, we were talking about the end times. And we were discussing that we are living, in fact, the uh, individual agreed, that we are living in the most exciting time in history. And this individual said, you know, what really attracted him to the Christian faith was the fact, which he'd never heard in his church growing up, that Christ was coming back. And that's the good news, that Christ is coming back to save the world from itself. And we're announcing that good news to the world. But he agreed that we're living in that exciting time in history. And yet, again, we must prepare for the short term and the long term. We look forward to keeping the Passover here just two or three weeks from now. As Jesus said in Luke twenty-two fourteen, with fervent desire... I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. We are also warning the world. In doing so, we are preparing the world and the American British descended peoples for the trying times ahead. We must also prepare physically, financially, educationally, and spiritually. We will face emergencies. We will face natural and man-made disasters. Are you prepared? Do you have a grab-and-go bag? Do you have a ready bag? Brethren, we're preparing for the kingdom of God every single day. As it says in Revelation 19.7, the wife has prepared herself. She's made herself ready for the return of Christ. We make ourselves ready every day by striving to live by every word of God every day. We strive to recapture true values. So there's a positive aspect and an inspiring, enjoyable part of the abundant living by recapturing true values of music, of entertainment, of serving, of giving, of helping in family relations. In fact, I was surprised to come across on our website yesterday, I think it was, cogl.org, an old telecast of mine called Improving Your Marriage. And I hope that that will help some of our brethren and some of those who want to recapture the true values of marital relations. We have to live each day by faith. In fact, we have a sermon by that title, number 324, in our sermon library. So as we prepare for the Passover, as we prepare for the kingdom, ask God to prepare your heart for the future. I already mentioned Psalm 51, verse 10. Let's turn to Psalm 10. In verse 17, Psalm 10, Mr. Meredith wrote in his article in the new LCN, which I 
hope that you, if you're not already received, will receive the March-April 2006 LCN uh, in the next week or two. His editorial is titled, How Does God View You? He gave a sermon on that a couple weeks ago at sermon number 368. And this is what he writes in the first paragraph. We who know the truth are held accountable for that precious knowledge. As Jesus clearly stated, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Luke 12:48. As God looks down from heaven upon all his people, what does he really see? Does he see a group of people with true faith in Christ who are obedient to his laws? Does he see a group of people who actually practice his government and are really, truly preparing to be kings and priests as they study his laws, his statutes, and prepare to teach and administer this entire way of life in tomorrow's world, he asks? I hope we are, brethren, and I think most of us are. A faithful servant is one who is prepared for the kingdom. He's prepared wholeheartedly during the years of his or her calling into the truth. In Psalm 10, verse 14, the psalmist writes, Lord, eternal, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. So, so while we prepare, ask God to help to prepare your heart to prepare us for the future. Thank God that he is preparing us for the future. So, brethren, may we diligently and wisely prepare for the future. Be prepared.